Well, good morning, Fellowship family. It's great to have you with us. And uh, that idea was actually from one of our elders, Rick Tagg, who, uh, just like me, we'd take notes during the service, but then three months later, we'd find him in between the seat in our car. So this is an opportunity for you just to keep them. And uh, uh, by the way, it's not an opportunity to check your final, you know, your fantasy football scores or anything like that. So if if digital is distracting to you, then go old school. Uh, but if it helps you, use it. We're glad that you're here with us today. Hey, and we're starting a new series called Together. And uh, this is a, a picture of, of calling us of what it could look like if, if we join together. Do we really believe, do we really believe that we're better together? Because the scriptures call us together. And the scriptures tell us that we're better together. And yet, uh, we don't always practice that. So over the course of these next weeks, that's where we're headed. We're really going to try to build the case today on why be together. And, uh, you know, as I read the Bible and as we've aligned our reading plan to this series and as we talk in our small groups, it's easy when you're just meeting with God and you to, to, to look at the picture and say, uh, this is just about me. God's just about worried about me and concerned about me. And although that's true, you're not the center of his universe. And uh, he calls us into a family. Did you know that the entire Bible details the vision and the story of God building a family? Old Testament and new is about God building a family who will love him, who will honor him, and who will reign together with him. And when you place your faith and trust in Christ, you become a part of God's family. He's your heavenly father. We're your brothers and sisters in Christ. And the invitation to be part of God's family is really to everyone. It's to whosoever, but whosoever will believe in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So it's an invitation to be part of a spiritual family. Did you know that a spiritual family will last far longer than your earthly family? The one we have with Christ is going to, lo- going to last far longer than our earthly family. And this is good news, especially when our families are broken by divorce or disagreements or even by death. Your spiritual family is forever. And so we're family. To love God and to love each other is our new kind of motif in this life. We're no longer isolated. We're no longer independent uh, from everyone else. We're called to be together with God, together with each other, the church, your spiritual family. Many of us live in just the opposite way. We have a priority of independence, of rights, of free thinking with limited, very limited authority, but with a lot of choice and a lot of, of uh, personal empowerment. And so we, fear, we feel threatened when we're called together because we're threatened by what we have to give up to be a part of this. Others of us have been hurt. We've been hurt when we've joined in environments of togetherness. And so we're afraid of that. We, we, we would rather move towards isolation rather than together. Others of us are just skeptical. Is it, am I really better with my church family than I am alone? I think that's a major question in our culture today. Why the church? Why are we called together? So whether you're influenced by insecurity or independence or isolation... 
We're still called to be a part of a family. We're called to be together with God and each other. I want to build that basis of why be together. And uh, I, I want to just tell you that here at Fellowship, we recognize God trusts people to us every weekend who are either insecure with togetherness, who are independent from togetherness, or isolated from togetherness. And we always call you in. When you come here, we're always going to say, it's great you're here. Come, be a part of what God is doing. As we build this case, I want to just turn to a passage that I think is really a together passage. It's in the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 1. I hope you have your Bibles and you can turn there with me so that you can see it right before your eyes. But as you turn there to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3 and going all the way to verse 14... In the Greek, in the Greek, the original Greek of this, they were literally, this was one sentence. Now, I know if you're an English major or an English teacher, your heart rate just went up, right? Because there's a whole bunch of run-on sentences in this. And Paul's grammar is probably not the best on that. But I don't know if you've ever written a note and were so excited to write the note, you didn't worry too much about punctuation. You just started, you know, the thoughts just started boiling over and you just started writing and scribbling down and trying to get that, you know, keep, keep the ideas flowing. That's Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. He's going to tell us this is what God was like. This is who he was in the past. This is who he is in the present. This is what he's doing in the future. This is, it's the Father, it's the Son, it's the Holy Spirit. And it's all about God calling you in. Come together, people. Come together is basically this passage. But I want to kind of build the case of why come together. Take a look at verse 3 with me of Ephesians chapter 1. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's just pause there. We get uh, the introduction here to two of the three in the Trinity. But ultimately, together is what God is, is who God is. Together is who God is. God, by his very essence, is relationship. The Trinity, the three persons, the one God. Three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's God's relationship with himself. I know it's easy for us to think one plus one plus one equals three. How in the world does that happen that God is one? But God uses multiplication. One times one times one is one. It's three persons, one God. Now, I have heard about this, and I have believed this since I've been about five years old. But I still don't fully understand it. And that's okay. It's okay that God is bigger than you. It's okay that God understands and even his reality is, is different than ours in that area. He's the Trinity. And we're called to celebrate this. Every time we baptize someone, Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. Paul would even move it into a greeting in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. These are three separate persons, yet different roles. The Father, who's the source of this blessing, right? He's he's, uh, the master planner of all that we have. 
Jesus, the Son, is mentioned in this passage, as we'll read, 15 times, either directly Jesus Christ or Him, uh, the personal pronoun for Him. But then there's the Holy Spirit. Because God is love, He values relationships. As one of my seminary professors said, he asked this question. It was a question he asked our class when we were thinking about this. He says, what was God doing before he created man? The answer is, he was enjoying themselves. It took me a while to get that one too. God, though, is unified. He's together in his essence. Together is who he is. It's who God is. That's why we're called to come together with him. And when you have God in your life through faith in Jesus Christ, you're never alone. You're together with him. And that's the other thing. Together is who we are. Let's take a look at who we are here. Verse 4 of chapter 1. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. My goodness, this is rich stuff. There's a ton of theology packed into this, but I don't want you to lose track. Even though we could preach a hundred more messages on things like predestination and redemption and forgiveness and our trespasses and the wisdom and insight of God, I don't want you to forget, folks, this is who we are. We are brought together because of Christ's work. We are now in Christ. We were once in sin, but now we're in Christ in sin, following our own way, taking our independent way, our rebellious way against God, now through Christ we've been brought near. Reminds me of a story. Story of uh, a guy back in 1961 named Arthur Dupereau. Um, And Arthur Dupereau is pictured here with his wife, Jean. He has his daughter, Renee, on his shoulders and his son, Brian, right in front of Jean. And uh, they were from Green Bay, Green Bay, Wisconsin. I know I said Packers because I love the Packers. I just don't even call it Wisconsin anymore. They were from Green Bay and they'd sail around the harbor in Green Bay. And, and Arthur loved to take his family on adventures. He'd say adventures family is the best type of education you could go. Get on. You may have grown up in a family that loved adventure. Well, that was his family. And he had a dream that he would take his family. And by the way, uh, not pictured there is their 11-year-old daughter named Terry Jo. And uh, Terry Jo was a tomboy, blonde-haired, brown-eyed, uh, full-of-life little girl that was with them also on this. And so he had this dream. I'm going to rent a sailboat, and I'm going to sail around the Bahama Islands. So that's exactly what he did. He went to Miami, he chartered this boat, this is a 40-foot sailboat called the Bluebell, and he and his family kind of sputtered out of the Miami um, uh, harbor with the captain and his wife who took care of them, and they were going and, and sailing, uh, it took them three hours to get 50 miles, I mean, they were clipping along, things were going great. The uh, captain of their ship, The captain of their ship was a man named Julian uh, Harvey. 
At age 44 years old, who along with his wife, Danae, served the Dupereau family for what would be this week-long adventure together. They arrived at Sandy Point, Bahamas, and the family, their dream was becoming a reality. They were enjoying walks along the beach. They were enjoying snorkeling. They went spearfishing together. They went swimming together. And on Sunday evening, right after dinner, they headed out of that harbor at Sandy Point to another Bahama Island. Something happened on that Sunday evening that turned the dream of Arthur Duperell into a nightmare. This guy, Julian Harvey, was very disturbed. He had a plan to kill everyone on the Bluebell. He took out, just before he took out and sailed away, he took out this huge life insurance policy on his wife. And his, his plan was to kill her, kill everyone on the Bluebells, sink it, and float away on the little dinghy boat on the, on the back of it and uh, make up a story about it. And so on that evening, he did. He killed everyone on board except Terry Joe Duperell, who was asleep underneath. He must have, in the, in the crisis, in the, the chaos of everything, he must have forgotten about her. So he pulls the plug and he starts to sink the sailboat. And that's where she woke up. She woke up and she had water up to her waist. She stepped down and made her way up there. And he was just about to leave on that dinghy. And it had the rope on the, on the, on the deck. And as he looked and saw her, he said, wait, wait, hold on to that rope. And she panicked and she let the rope go. So he floated away. And the boat started sinking. She looked around her. What in the world do I do right now? I I mean, and she grabbed the life ring. The life ring was this oblong, you know, thing of cork. And it had a webbing, uh, a a hemp uh, webbing that was in the middle of who could save anyone who it was thrown to. It was meant just to be thrown out to bring someone into a boat. And she grabbed a hold of that. And she floated on the open seas for four days. She froze at night. She burned during the day. She had exposure. She was dehydrated. She went in and out of consciousness. There were fish pecking at her all the time. And then there was a Greek boat, a Greek, Greek ship named the Captain Theo that was uh, headed, um, headed to an island there, and uh, they spotted Terry Joe Dupereau floating four days. It was... De- it was uh, November 16th, 1961. And uh, since that life ring was white, um, they could barely see her. They thought she was a white cap. And right next to her, to the right, the captain noticed there was a shark. And so he didn't lower the lifeboat. He made a makeshift raft, which he gently lowered down not to make any noise. And the guys paddled over to her and saved her. She had collapsed immediately as they came to her. And she went into a coma. Uh, she was then rushed to, by helicopter, to the Miami hospital where she recovered, made a full recovery. Folks, she was alone. Life magazine took that word and actually blew it up into two full pages. Her picture of, of being, uh, on the open waters. This little picture was at the corner of one of the pages and the whole rest of the, the print was just ocean. And they talked about this now, orphan of the ocean. She became an instant celebrity because of her rescue. Everyone who was a part of that rescue had tears in their eyes and had joy that they found someone. You know what? We were once Terry Joe Dupereau. 
in the sea of sin, isolated, independent from God, at risk, overexposed to sin, far from God, but now we have been put in Christ. Did you know that's one of the most common, that's one of the most common names for who you are. You are in Christ. It's used 11 times in these 12 verses. It's used of us personally. It's used of us as a family. We're in Christ. Once we were in sin, once we were in darkness, once we were adrift, but now we've been rescued. We've been brought near to God. We've been brought near into a family. We're no longer alone. Did you know even the word for church in the Greek is called ekklesia, which literally means the called out ones. You are called out from sin into the light of the gospel. You're called out from ourselves. You're called out from darkness into the glorious light. Called out of whatever circumstance or situation or attitude that was before Christ. Now we've been called together. United into a family. Why come together? Because it's who God is. It's who you are. And then it's all part of God's purpose for you. Take a look at verses 9 and following. It says that God was making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Look at that. It says that it's, it's God's purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And that purpose was to unite all things together with him. This is the plan of God to bring all things together. And that means me and you. And whenever we love each other, whenever we restore a broken relationship, whenever we resolve conflict, we're showing the purpose of what God is doing with the church. He's brought us from sin and he's brought us together with him. And we're called to love each other. Love will last forever. You can win awards. You can climb to the top of your field. But guess what? If you do not love, 1 Corinthians uh, says, you are just noise. We're just noise. People are going to remember two things about us. People are going to remember, do you love me and accept me? Or do you not love me and reject me? Think about your memories of relationships. For the most part, they're driven by those two groups of people. I remember the sixth grade bully. I remember his name. I remember what he said to me. I remember he called me a loser. I remember our memories on negative relationships are huge. You may have grown up in a very critical negative family. And you still hear those words every time you make a mistake. You hear those words that were said to you. And you struggle. People remember that. You leave a legacy of love. It could be negative or it can be positive. On the other hand, when someone loves you, when someone accepts you, you remember those, right? That around that same time that I had the sixth grade bully in my life and I was praying, God, get him. Amen. <laughs> I had a guy named Tom Frankie. And Tom saw me, and I remember between my 6th and 7th grade, I grew 6 inches, and uh, I was away at camp, and I went from first string to left out, because my coordination totally messed up. But Tom saw me, Tom loved me, 
Tom shared, shared the, um, the, the word with me. He spoke into my life. You know, I haven't seen Tom in about seven years, but I still remember Tom. I'm still remembering that. We remember when parents love us. We remember that. It's because it's all about relationships. And we long for loving relationships. You know, when we say goodbye to someone, and I've been a pastor and I've been at many deathbeds, and do you know what people want around them when they're dying? They want people they love. They really do. They don't go, hey, I served that company for 40 years. There's a plaque. It's on my I love me wall at home. And I'd like you to bring it here. It just gives me comfort to know that I served that company for all those years. Or I won... Um, we went to state and we won the football thing and we, that trophy, I, I'd like to hang on to that. No, we go, bring the people who love me, bring them close. Don't you want that? If you had one day to live, chances are you'd want the people you love close near, close by. So why don't we live each day with that same priority? Why don't we look at what we can be doing to be close to people, to deepen the relationships around us? Why can't we live in this reality today? Relationships are the most significant reality that each of us will navigate each day. That's why it's crucial to love intentionally, to make a decision each day. I will love God. I will love people around me. Let me suggest a prayer I'd like you to pray as your day begins. Here it is. Lord, no matter what happens today, I want to make sure I spend time loving you and loving the people in my life. What if you just began it? I know the morning is busy, but what if you just found a time to pray that simple prayer? God, no matter what happens today, I want to make sure I'm loving you and I'm loving the people in my life. I've found that when I'm intentional and I'm available for togetherness like that, my goodness, God just provides people. And it's even interesting. It even doesn't matter what kind of day I have. I can be having a horrible day, but if I'm praying that prayer, I can love people who are going through crisis. I can love people who are going through divorce or brokenness or depression. And even on my best day when I'm praying that, I don't get overwhelmed with success. I can start loving the people God has had. It keeps me humble to pray a prayer like that. Why? Because that's what God is doing. God is absolutely committed to us in relationship with him and each other. Passionately committed. It's his purpose. It's what he's doing. Someday he will reunite heaven and earth together. He'll put it on the books and it will be reconciled. But right now, the church is called to show a picture of what God will ultimately do. So when you have a broken relationship and you put the time and energy and the humility to restore that, guess what? You're showing the world what God will do with you ultimately. Our picture is always going to be imperfect. Our picture is always going to be, you know, broken in some capacity. But we can rehearse the purpose of God. We start living for God's purpose that way. It's who God is. It's who we are. It's God's purpose for us. But then the final one, take a look in verse 11. 
It says, in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that you who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. There's the Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Here, Paul introduces the Holy Spirit in the mix. And again, this is the triune God. We not only have seen that God was alive and at work as he's known before the foundation of the world, he had us on his mind. The past, the present, we have been called through Christ to live in him, the future now, that someday, as we have the Holy Spirit right now to show us, we'll claim that inheritance that we have with Christ. Do you know what that inheritance will look like? It's going to be a together inheritance. Many people view heaven as I will get to do this and I will have this and I'll have these freedoms and I'll get to play golf and no one will tell me I have to work anymore. But heaven, let me just give you the the Debbie Downer about heaven. It's not going to be about you. It's not. It won't. And can I tell you something? It's going to be so much greater than you could ever plan. It's going to be all of God's vision for you. You're actually going to be living the way he fashioned you and created you to live. You're going to have freedom. You're going to have joy. You're going to have peace. We'll be together with God in heaven. Together we'll be with God forever. United with him. Reunited with believers who've passed from earth to heaven by death. Together forever we will be changed to be like Jesus. Together forever we're going to be freed from pain Death, depression, anxiety, worries, fears, suffering together. We're actually going to be rewarded by God and even given uh, positions of service together, working well together, working joyfully together. Together, we're going to share in Christ's glory together. Think about that. Folks, you're going to have me in your life for a long, long time. And you're going to like me in heaven. And I'm going to love you in heaven. Yeah, have you ever heard this phrase? To dwell with saints above. Oh, that will be glory. To to dwell with saints below. Well, that's another story, right? Yeah, it's, it's the struggle. I've been in the ecclesia, the called out ones. Ever since my earliest memories, I remember some of my earliest memories and when I was two or three years old in the church nursery. I've been in the church for a long time. I've been in a small church. I've been in a medium-sized church. I've been in a large church. And the issue is always people. <laughs> it is. As a pastor, ministry would be so easy if it weren't for people. <laughs> but people are priceless. And everything we do here is for relationships. Calling people into relationship with God and calling people into relationship with each other. It's difficult. It's messy. It's broken. But what God is doing and why we all are called to endure in this is, folks, we're giving a snapshot of what heaven will look like. When we live this way, when we love deeply, when we navigate through uh, conflict or resolve a broken relationship, we're giving a picture of the peace that's in heaven when we live at peace with each other. If I just surrounded myself with people I like to be around who look like me, talk like me, vote like me, believe like me, 
on all things, all things. If I do that, my church is going to be really small. My church is going to be me. But if I realize God is about something so greater than this, God's about doing something to where I'm actually better together than I'd ever be alone. My goodness, God provides when I join together. He, it's, it's a picture of God's future with us. We get a picture of that future, of that vision. And that Holy Spirit is here to call us together. There's many reasons why we have the Holy Spirit. But one on this, at, at least as we look at this, is the Holy Spirit is to call us together. He's that down payment to remind us of what we have in Christ. And we have each other. We have the work of Jesus. Whenever you see the Holy Spirit and you talk about him having joy in your life, it's always connected to, really closely by, keep reading, you'll hear about relationships. So that's why the Holy Spirit is, gets great joy when we love each other well, when we navigate through conflict, when we keep short accounts, when we forgive each other, when we go the extra mile and endure in a relationship where everyone else would walk away from that person and you endure because you're committed to loving them, whether that's marriage, whether that's a friendship, because you want to love them. The Holy Spirit goes, yes, yes, this is what heaven will be like. Peace, joy, Safety in relationships, vulnerability, authenticity in relationship. Nothing fake, nothing programmed, authentic, real. Heaven will be like that. And when we, um, but on the other hand, when we fight, when we separate from each other, when we go critical with each other, it literally grieves the spirit of God. When we have that gossip conversation, when we ask for, when we literally gossip, but we call it a prayer request, it grieves the Holy Spirit because he's all about bringing us together. Someday we will be freed from selfishness, from insecurity, from bitterness, from hurt and brokenness, and we will live together. That's why the church shows a picture to the world of that right now. By this, the world will know that you are his, by how we love one another. Relationships, folks, it's all about being together. Why together? Because together is who God is. It's what God calls us to be. And that's why, can I just make one more statement on that one? That's why there's no such thing as a mature Christian who, who is relationally immature. You can't. You can't be a mature follower of Jesus Christ and look at your wake of your life and your relationships and just see turned upside down boats and brokenness and hurt and, and failures in relationships that are a result of, of maybe your self-righteousness. And it's, I think there's an easy temptation to go, me and God are just fine. It's just you and me, God. But God's saying, no, no, it's not just about you and me. It's about you and me and everyone else around you. And so you can't be a mature Christian and be relationally immature. God calls us to be in him. God calls us to be in his church. It's also God's purpose for us. When we live in loving relationships, when we restore broken relationships, when we endure in difficult relationships, guess what? We reflect God's purposes who unites all things to himself. And then it's God's future with us. Look forward to that future. Think forward to that future Live 
forward in that future of a life that's together with God and with your family. What might this look like? I want to ask you to take that first step of whatever God might do with this passage. One, if you don't know Christ and you're feeling adrift and lost in a sea of loneliness, take that first step because Jesus is right there. And to anyone who calls out, he will save. Come to Christ and be together with God. You cannot be together with God without Jesus. But when you have Jesus, you have all of God, all of his blessing. By faith, just say, Jesus, thank you for living for me, for dying for me on the cross and raising from the dead. I believe you are who you are and, and, and said what you were going to do. I believe that and I trust you. Welcome. You're part of the family. Some of you who have uh, made a profession of faith and you have been part of the family of God, but you haven't been practicing with your earthly family too well. And you know what? If we're honest, FBC has a lot of people who are just watching God work and being a spectator. Now's the time to come together. We're going to all you, always call you to come together with your church family. That may mean come together and get involved in a ministry and be a part of a family. It may be joining a small group and getting together. As we grow larger, small groups keep us smaller. Get into one of those small groups. But here's the deal. Here's what I've noticed. This is usually not a result of us not telling people come together. This is usually an issue of the heart. Because whatever your heart wants to do, you will do. You will find a way. If your heart is infatuated over someone and you want to get their number or you want to get to know them, I mean, you will move heaven and earth to get to the time with them. You will. If you had a heart to give generously to the Lord, you wouldn't care that we had text giving. You would go and go to the bank and get cash and give cash. You'd go old school if you needed to, if your heart was really aligned with God. And if you want to get connected, folks, we will get you connected. All you have to do is help me. I say, help me. I, I, I want to get connected here. And we will connect you. I have no problem doing that. But that might be your first step. You may be in a really difficult relationship right now. One, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a working relationship, whether it's your marriage. Come together. Maybe it would be more logical for you to leave. But at the end of the day, don't you want to leave a legacy with that person with your children, with everyone who knows you, of how you endured and chose to love someone when normal people would walk away. Maybe you have a friend who's distant and adrift like Terry Joe Dubrow in the ocean, and you're closest by them. Maybe you need to reach out to them and call them together with God, together with you. We're all part of God's together family. Let's take that first step. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about how we're better together on different topics, different areas of what a church family is all about. I hope you'll continue to join together with us as we explore that and respond to the reality of who God is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for calling us together, for not leaving us alone, adrift, helpless, I want to thank you for your compassion that reached out to us and brought us together with you through Christ. 
for giving us an actual now purpose of calling others and living together, enduring through difficulties, restoring relationships, deepening relationships. And I want to thank you for the vision of your future, the future with us together.